If you come in here this morning feeling just worn out or wounded, maybe insignificant and unseen, Jesus of Nazareth has words for you this morning, healing words, words of hope, words to help you. Another deep breath. We're just drawing our attention to this present moment that we wouldn't be distracted. We're just learning to let the cars of not only our thoughts, but literal cars and airplanes just pass by, notice the sounds, but we want to be present to each other and to our Father in this time. One more final deep breath. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, teach. Holy Spirit, form. Jesus, Son of God, be exalted. Father, merciful creator, speak, move, shape, transform. We love you, Father. We love you, Son of God. We love you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, In the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. (laughs) Now, that prediction, those words appeared in a 1968 art exhibition put on by the controversial pop artist Andy Warhol. (laughs) Now, those particular words, in the future, everyone in the world will be world famous for 15 minutes, they were actually instigated, they were sourced in a moment of frustration. Warhol was doing a photo shoot, and a an entire crowd like tried to lurch in and photobomb him in the middle of the photo shoot. And so what came out of his mouth was this frustrated phrase, everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. And that went on to go into this 1968 art exhibition that one day in the future, all the world will have its 15 minutes of fame. And so if you fast forward only a mere 50 years to today from Warhol's frustrated words, we find that technological advancement in our generation has actually given everyone the opportunity for their 15 minutes of fame. The digital age has given rise to instant fame for anyone and for everyone. There's a technological gold rush happening right now in our social media-driven society. And we all know, we've all seen it happen, or we want it to happen for us. If you can scratch the right cultural itch in the right moment, create the brand, and go viral on Instagram or YouTube or TikTok. Why do they call it TikTok? I, I don't know. What follows is overnight global fame and a lot of money to boot. And you guys, it's so funny with this instant fame. You never know who and how and when somebody's gonna strike gold. One of my absolute favorites was from 2020. His name was Nathan Apodaca, and he was a farmer from Idaho Falls. (laughs) Potato farmer from Idaho Falls, and he posted a TikTok of himself. Did you guys see this Super Bowl commercial? He's cruising to work on his longboard, just jamming to Fleetwood Mac's dreams, <laughs> sipping down this big old bottle of ocean spray cranberry juice. And for some reason, in the middle of the pandemic, this laid-back potato farmer going to work that morning, sipping on his cranberry juice, scratched such a cultural itch in the moment that his video went completely viral to the point where people all around the globe were mimicking and repeating his actual behavior on their own TikTok and Instagram threads to the point where Mick Fleetwood himself did it, and it gained enough followers that it became a Super Bowl commercial. And as of today, Apodoca has an upwards of 7 million followers a lucrative sponsorship deal with not only Ocean Spray, but multitudes of companies, longboard companies, music companies. It's just insane. 
You know, it's actually no wonder that a late study in 2019 there towards the end of the year said that 86% of Gen Z has at the top of their goals, their life endeavors, to become influencers. (laughs) Fame has always been a carrot that many chase, but that few find. 99% of us, regardless of our technological opportunities via social media, 99% of us will never go viral. And fame itself, while it is not necessarily and inherently evil, many souls that find fame, they discover it to be actually very different than what they envisioned. When I was doing research for this particular introduction to this sermon, I came across multiple 20, now 30-year-old Instagram famous influencers, and they said, to be famous and rich at 23 overnight was the worst thing you can imagine for my soul. Fame can twist the soul, and fame is fleeting. Fame can make one think that they are suddenly an expert in things that they have no idea in what they're talking about. And I don't know why we as a society have decided that if an 18-year-old has a million followers on TikTok, they're also suddenly experts on climatology, politics, sociology, and every other topic that they post on. How, why do we do this? Fame is fleeting, friends. And despite Warhol's prophecy that in the days that we live in, many will find that 15 minutes of fame, that is not very long in comparison to a lifetime. And so when we as souls build our value on the fickle opinions of others, that's what fame is, the opinion of others towards us. When we build our identity on that, the crowds can turn critical and caustic just as quickly as they came applauding us. Now, Jesus... Jesus of Nazareth, peasant stonemason from the middle of nowhere 2,000 years ago. Jesus was all too familiar with fast fame, but the man avoided it as long as he possibly could. He knew that he would one day be the most famous human to have ever existed in all of the history of humanity, but he knew that he would only be known and he only wanted to become known at the hour that his father intended in the context of his father's mission for the sake of the well-being and the salvation of the world. And so Jesus was able to keep his senses about him as his popularity spread, as this itinerant preacher there in the Near and Middle East. He was able to keep his senses about him because he knew that these applauding crowds at the end of his life would now be shouting, crucify him. He was able to resist chasing that carrot of fame because he knew, Jesus knew that his value and his honor was wholly sourced in the presence of God's faithful love towards him. Jesus understood that he was applauded, celebrated, adored, that he was famous with his father. And that was the foundation of his security. That was the foundation of his identity. And so, as I said, we have now launched into this short little five-week series here at the beginning of the summer, asking this concrete question from John chapter 15 where Jesus says, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to know who you are, if you want to find yourself, if you want to be effective in the world, you have to abide. You have to make your home in. You have to make your dwelling place in my love. And so we are asking, how do we abide in love? And I opened our teaching this morning with this lengthy introduction on fame because in one way we might be asking the question in this sense, 
how can we know and experience our famousness with our Father so that we're settled like Jesus was? So that whether we go viral on TikTok, which by the way, I've made a TikTok with my daughter that hasn't been posted yet. Could be the millionaire, could be the millionaire winning one. Whether we go viral or not, how do we learn to experience the applause of our Father that never ceases? How do we revel in and delight in and actually sense his fame, his fanboyness towards us as he looks at us with adoration and delight and joy and applause? He's just so in love with us. And so our teaching is going to be taken from the Sermon on the Mount where Lucretia read for us, Matthew chapter 6. What I want to remind you guys of, if you've never been in Matthew, and in particular the three chapters in which the Sermon on the Mount is found, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus Christ's blueprint for human flourishing. It is the way that Jesus taught we would finally find what we're all looking for, fullness of life, meaning, purpose, happiness, answers to the questions that drive us through our days. The Sermon on the Mount stands as maybe the most important teaching that has ever been given in the history of humanity. So just a quick, broad overview of chapter 5 and chapter 6 before we get into this. When you begin in the Sermon on the Mount, everything is counterintuitive, upside down and backwards, as was everything with Jesus and his teachings. And so he opens by saying, blessed are, literally in our English translation, you could say, happy are the people, full of joy are the people. And then you expect him to go on and say, happy and full of joy are the people who are famous and healthy and wealthy and rich and wise. And he doesn't. He goes on and he makes these ludicrous statements in Matthew chapter five, where he literally says, blessed are the people who are impoverished physically and spiritually in soul and in their real existence. They're blessed. They're happy. And you're like, Jesus, what? No, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Blessed are the people who are persecuted rather than the people who are so comfortable living above the other. Blessed are the people who are on the margins, who are unseen, Jesus says. So right away out of the gate, the Sermon on the Mount kind of jars you out of the direction that you thought you should be going to find fullness of life and happiness. As you move into chapter 5, verses 17 to 48, what Jesus does in that section is he lays out this radical reinterpretation of the entire Old Testament, of Torah, of the Jewish law. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and he took great liberty as God among us, the author of all of the scriptures, to apply them and interpret them correctly for us. And so in chapter 17 through 48, he takes the whole of the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of Moses, and he takes those 613 laws and he gets right to the matters at heart found within them, saying, anger and lust, those aren't only outward actions. Those are the things that actually from the heart lead to murder and adultery. Big, crazy, ludicrous statements that Jesus makes throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in that section 17 through 48, he addresses the impact of divorce of which so many of us have endured and weathered, and the importance of vows and covenant and commitment, something that I pray our church and our communities learn to value above all else. Jesus talked about us being a community of peace, that we as his people, we are to first turn the other cheek. We are actually to give up our rights and give to those who take from us. We do not, as Christians, use fists and violence to make our way in the world. Whether that be physical fists or digital fists, we don't use them. But like Jesus, we actually love and pray for our enemies. Now, 
That's chapter 5. As we get to chapter 6, there's this very subtle transition that Jesus makes in emphasis, and this is the big idea for the morning. In the first section, chapter 5, and in particular, verses 17 to 48, Jesus commands us at the beginning of those crazy reinterpretations of the Old Testament. He says, I want you, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, Jesus was saying, the way that I want my people, kingdom people, to handle and think about and deal with anger and lust and vows and covenant and commitment and enemies that will make you, when you abide by, when you obey my commands in these ways, you will be light in a dark place. You will be salt in a decaying society. This is what Jesus commanded us to. In every sense, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, we as his people are to be seen. We are to be famous for our works in the world, in obedience to him. We are to be seen for what we do in this world. The secret life which is what we're going to be talking about this morning, the secret life is not about fleeing to the hills to be hidden from society. We are to be seen. Heaven on earth is not a hermitage. And this is important for all of you introverts, which I certainly am. <laughs> this idea that, that we can just escape this world and, and, and not be seen is so against what Jesus actually taught. Jesus intends that we would be watched by humanity. And so, as we move into chapter 6, Jesus begins to make this emphasis now on these commonly held religious traditions. Things like charity, things like prayer, things like fasting. And as you work your way through chapter 6, what you'll see is that he emphasizes in each one of those behaviors that we're to do them secretly that we're to do them in a hidden way. Jesus calls his communities to be seen, but also to live this secret hidden life. And the secret hidden life isn't about not being physically seen in our works or in our words. The secret hidden life is actually about our motivation of heart. It is about this pursuing of God's reward above all other rewards, whether we are seen by others or not. This secret posture of heart that we carry in the world, it learns to be content with anonymity, and it's not smitten with being seen constantly. And so chapter 6 is this swinging of the pendulum, so to speak, in Jesus' very nuanced and very complex teachings from be light, be salt, be seen, be famous in the world for your works, do it secretly. Do it in a hidden way. Let your hearts only seek the reward from which comes, that comes from your Father. Let me just show you briefly. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles, chapter 6. Let your giving be done secretly, Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Pray to your Father in secret. Skip down to verse 18 in your phones or in your paper Bibles. Matthew 6, verse 18. Let your fasting be seen by your Father in secrecy. So we're not going to address praying. We're not going to address giving. We're not going to address fasting. I'm just going to assume, as Jesus assumed, that we all have those rhythms. Jesus operated on that assumption that we are all already giving, that we are all already fasting, that we are all already praying. I want to emphasize this, this life of secrecy. Because the Sermon on the Mount could be summarized in this way. Be seen, but be seen in a secret way. And the reason for that, the reason for that is to actually abide, the art of abiding, begins by deep, deep intimacy with God alone. 
And fame and the pursuit of the applause of people is a distraction. It's a diminishment of actually sensing God's will, sensing God's favor, sensing God's fame with you. This is what Jesus says in verse 1. Read with me, please. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this so it applies to us directly where we are. Verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me just reword that. Be careful not to put your life on display through social media for the sake of being liked by them. Because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful living your life in such a way that you make your ultimate identity what others think about you. Because... If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus' primary admonition here in verse 1 is against theathenai, from which we get our word theater, the Greek word theathenai, theater. Jesus was warning us against the shallowness, the thinness, the, the futility, really, of doing work, doing spiritual work, doing life, all for the sake of only being seen by the world, Because Jesus said, when we make our life only about being seen by the others around us, then in essence, we lose what we truly are, which is humans and children before our Father, and we just become actors on a stage with our costumes, making sure that we do all the right moves and say all the right things and sing all the right songs so that we can be somebody. And Jesus says at the end of the day, it's hypocrisy, which is the number one reason that so many people are not at Neighbors Church this morning. Because they're tired of watching a stage full of actors. They're tired of it. You're tired of it. I'm tired of it. We're all tired of watching a stage full of actors. And so the king comes and he says, be careful of this theathenai. It thins your souls out. It makes you less than what I made you to be. Jesus did not want our lives to devolve into nothing more than acting on a stage for fleshy applause. And there's two reasons for this, for you note takers, two very specific reasons. Number one, for humans to truly flourish, we cannot base our identities on what others think of us, but on only what God thinks of us. I know if you've been in the church for very long, that is so cliche and said over and over, but we have to believe this. For us to find fullness of flourishing, true happiness, who we truly are to be fully human, then we cannot base our identity on what other humans say or think about us. We must yield ourselves to what our Father thinks and says of us. And then number two, this is most important for us as a missionary church in the city. Most kingdom work, transforming kingdom work that brings the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, most of that happens in unseen places and in hidden ways. This is why Jesus said the kingdom work would be done on the margins of cities and societies, metaphorically speaking. We're right in the center of the city, exactly where we want to be. Jesus said the kingdom work that he was doing, even in his day, it wasn't going to be explosive and measurable. He said the kingdom work that his followers would accomplish in this world, he likened it to mustard seeds planted, kernels of wheat going into the ground buried and dying. This is what Jesus said the kingdom work would initially look like. Jesus wants us to flourish in our Father's reward, and he wants us to learn to trust that every small mustard seed, unseen act of obedience to him in this life will bear immeasurable kingdom-transforming power in the world. And that is an act of faith, friends, because we do not see it. It is an act of trust to believe 
that these things actually occur as we obey. And secrecy, loved ones, is the friend, is the, is the key. Secrecy, secrecy is the key. Let me just say this, just a little bit of a corrective, I don't know, confession on my part as a leader in the Western Protestant church. We have lost the way of secrecy in the modern church, especially here in the West. If we look at our history, if you look at the history of the church, many, many streams and traditions, our brothers and sisters throughout Christian history, they actually made secrecy a primary component of their Christian obedience in the world. Some of them literally fled to caves to avoid fame. Now, there's some wrong in that. We have to stay in mission. But we here have gotten this backwards in our model of church in the Western kind of evangelical, that's kind of our DNA, our tribe, kind of, especially in evangelical Protestant communities like ours, we've gotten this backwards. And this is why. We have absorbed the kind of American proclivity towards measurable productivity. And so we do not see any value in acts that don't appear big and flashy and outward. If they're unseen and are the margins, that, why, that's not the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's not fireworks. That's not big. That's not, that's, we're Americans. We do it big and we do it seen. And so the church has absorbed that. Our style of church, based on a whole sort of historical and sociological reasons, our style of church actually places the most emphasis on visible and measurable metrics like growing numbers and growing budgets. It is the bane of my existence as a lead pastor of a church plant. Growing numbers and a growing budget. And here, I've got to tell you, this is not bad. We want to grow. We, we want to grow. I, I would love to lead the, I want to lead the largest church in the entire world. No, she was shaking his head. No, don't even say it out loud. <laughs> we want to grow. We're asking you to give. We want to make some hires. We want the budget to go up. We want, those are good things. But that is not the spearhead end goal of our discipleship unto Jesus. And God forbid that you're ever trained that way in the church, that the end of your existence in Jesus is to make sure that your church is getting bigger and the budget is always going up and to the right. Here's what Dallas Willard says. One of the greatest fallacies of our faith and actually one of the greatest acts of unbelief is the thought that our spiritual acts and virtues need to be advertised to be known. The frantic efforts of religious peoples and groups to advertise and certify themselves is a stunning revelation of their lack of substance in faith. Secrecy rightly practiced enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. The God who lit our candles so we could be the light of the world not so we could hide it under a bushel. And we allow him to decide when our deeds will be known and when our light will be noticed. Secrecy at its best teaches love and humility before God and others. And I'm telling you, it will make you more fully human. It will set you free from theothenai, this thinness of soul that theater creates. And note, I want you guys to not miss this. Jesus, so brilliant, every single line. Jesus did not deny that there is reward. We get a massive dopamine hit every time somebody likes what we did on Instagram. I love that juice. That's why I had to get out of that whole world because I'm such an addict. But Jesus said in verse 2, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus didn't say there's no reward in fame. That's why we want it. It feels amazing to be loved and to be adored. And it's interesting here because Jesus actually used a specific Greek like banking commercial term. 
He was basically saying, once you get that like on Instagram, if that's your ultimate source of identity, or once you reach whatever staged platform of fame wherein you find yourself, quote unquote, successful, Jesus said, you've been paid in full. If that's the end of it for you, you've been paid in full. Our Father and the Son of God, he loved us and he knew that this type of identity building is empty and it ends. And so he was course correcting us. In a day and age, you guys, where so much public discourse is taking place and everybody is virtue signaling and everybody is clamoring to convince everybody else that their name is going to be written on the right side of history, however you want to define that in this moment where people are putting online everything they can, their socially just activism. We, we, the Christian community, are post it, fine, but let your first foot forward be, I'm going to go about quietly praying for the kingdom to come, and I'm going to secretly obey the kingdom mandates in unseen places. Our first foot forward, friends, is to go around and secretly invite into our homes with lavish hospitality, people around our dinner table, who are politically, ethnically, economically, morally different than us for the sake of loving them and no one else knows but them, us, and our God. That's where the kingdom comes. In a day of Twitter rants and power plays on all sides, we, the Christian community, are not publicly destroying our enemies. We bring the stranger and the foe into our home to make them our family. Now, don't get me wrong here. Jesus says that there will be voices that speak to society at large. And there have been very, very famous Christian people that the world needed and were appointed. And so we are not diminishing the necessity or the the coming about of fame. I don't think Jesus was doing that. But he was saying the lion's share of his community will not be famous. They will change the world by secretly serving and giving and praying and fasting through their daily lives. And if, if this brings it down to right, if, if we're just like lay-level blue-collar Christians right here, like here we are, the normal Christians of the world, this little community out here on the blacktop, listen to this. Secrecy imbues every moment with real power. If, you, if you'll actually believe this, there is as much kingdom force for all you mamas in here with those little babies and the babies on the way. I want you to hear this. You have as much kingdom power at three o'clock in the morning praying over that little colicky baby as Billy Graham preaching to the masses. My friend, as you are stuck, as COVID releases us, and we go back to our delightful commutes, (laughs) and you are stuck there on the 15 again, and you start praying rather than cussing, there is as much power in that hidden commute prayer as any great missionary to all the world. And for some of us, you come in here and you feel insignificant, left out, and alone. You're the one that watches the circle of great influencers and leaders, and you have begged God, let me be that, and God has said, no, it is because he loves you, and he wants you to know that he has a very unique, secret, special work just for you and he to do together. Now, when you begin to believe that, the whole body, soul, mind thing shifts. It's really weird, and you don't need the dopamine hits all day long on the grams. You don't. It's, it's a liberating thing. And so I would encourage you, as we always do, almost every single week, embrace the practices of silence and solitude, those secret places where you are unseen, 
because they are just as important as all missionary efforts. In fact, I would submit to you that all of our visible work is actually futile without these invisible, unseen things. We're almost done. Jesus wants us to seek reward. He wants us to be motivated by reward. There are things that God wants to give and to do through you that are just between you and him and no one else for reward. Again, going back to those verses, verse 4, 6, and 18, Jesus says, I will reward you. There will be reward from you. Pray secretly, give secretly, fast secretly, and there will be reward for you. And this is why. You and I, we were all designed to be noticed. We were designed to be honored. That's why fame feels so real to us, because we were designed to be adored and applauded by love. The Hebrew Bible tells the story of the first humans. They lived in the unadulterated praise and honor and delight of their father when Adam and Eve were born. They were naked and unashamed. All of them sell, all of their selves were seen. They could see the fullness of each other, not in just physical nudity, but who they were, and they were all delighting in each other. And so there was no jealousy. There was no competition. There was no need to be noticed because their experience of God's applause of them was enough. The unceasing notice of their father created this intimacy with him until the liar deceived them, convincing them that the secret life that they had with him wasn't good enough. And so the fall, as the Hebrew sages describe it, whatever happened in that moment that we have all done ourselves separated us from the applause of God. It's like it deafened our ears. We believed the lie that we could applaud ourselves, make our way. And so sin separated them from God's delight, and they couldn't feel the honor of their soul. And the separation and that loss of intimacy led to that shame, and that is why we are all so desperate to seek notice now. To be noticed, to be seen, is to have an alleviation of that ongoing sense of shame. So when Jesus comes, he came to return us to the garden, and his commands to secrecy are the pathway back into it. Does that make sense? He came to, re to return us to intimate union with the Father, and the pathway back into that garden is secrecy because it creates intimacy. Dale Bruner talks about this reward of the Father's intimacy with us, saying, this is the meaning of Jesus' word, rewards. This word posits a living, reciprocal, mutual relation between father and child. And precisely because the relation is between a father and a child, a father's reward to his child is the father's greater closeness. And so secrecy just returns us to that place where we find ourselves saying over and over and over from the morning to the evening, Dad, watch this. <laughs> My kids still do that. They're teenagers. And it's, you can just sense it in them. Just watch me do this. Watch me do that. And as long as I see them doing this or that, they're just totally satisfied. As we close, there's no question that Jesus was and is and always will be the most famous human that has ever existed in all the history of humanity. There, there will never be another God-man among us. But Jesus' mission was not sourced in his fame. Jesus' mission was sourced in his secret, his secret intimacy with his father first. And we have to remember that the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we know nothing about them except for this little snippet from Luke where he was 12 years old. He lived in total obscurity, and he bursts onto the scene, and within three years he has hundreds of thousands of followers and ends up capitally punished by the most powerful empire in the world at his time. 
Jesus, even at the height of his highest popularity with the crowds shouting Hosanna and casting palm branches at his feet, even at that height, Jesus had these very specific rhythms of fleeing the crowd, getting off of Instagram, taking a break, letting the dopamine structures settle down, heading to the wilderness, getting quiet, getting still, alone, and secretly praying, secretly fasting, secretly giving finding those little niche moments with his father saying, dad, watch this. And his father saying, son, I see you. That is what gave our king the strength to go to the cross in total humiliation, total stripping, no fame at all. Jesus endured all of those things for our theatheni, for our thinness of soul, for our theater and our hypocrisy. Jesus had to absorb that into himself to make the way back to the garden for us. Those points not only thin our souls, they're acts of rebellion against God. We're taking his creation, namely our identity, our humanity, and we're doing with his creation what we want. And so Jesus had to come and say, I will reorder, I will redo, I will take upon and into myself what they have done wrong, I will do right for them. No theatheni, no theater, no hypocrisy. Stripped, beaten, bloodied, shamed so that we could be hung in him and then into a grave, the kernel of wheat literally dying and raising from that grave three days later. This is what the four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record. This is what in upwards of 40 humans said they saw. This is what St. Paul said he saw on the road to Damascus. This is what hundreds of people recorded that this unknown, marginalized peasant (laughs) called himself the king, called himself the creator among us, declared that through his crucifixion we would be forgiven, all would be forgotten, we would be brought back into union with the Father as he was in union with the Father, and that as he resurrected, so too would we resurrect. And in that secret delight of recognizing one day because Jesus is alive and I am in him, I will be raised from the grave. We now do our work in the world, in his power, in his strength, in his goodness, in his wisdom. And when we feel left out and alone and we didn't get the like on Instagram, then we turn to our father and we say, dad, watch this. And he's literally like on tiptoes. And you know how like little kids do dumb stuff and they think it's the most amazing thing. You're like, that was amazing. (laughs) We've got a bunch of little two-year-olds in our community now. And anytime one of them does something, everybody erupts into clapping because, you know, they fell on their head or whatever. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's our father with us. Look at that. He just belly flopped and used his head as a landing gear. Let's all clap, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's just, it's just love. I just, I want you to hear this because I'm on the journey with you, my dear friends. This is no, no easy jaunt. If this was easy, we would all, we would all be just such peace-filled, happy, smiley Christians. This is the practice of Christianity. It's an apprenticeship. And so just as a master bricklayer or plumber or electrician takes alongside his apprentice, I used to be a journeyman sign electrician. I had to take these apprentices alongside me. And if they didn't do exactly what I told them to do, they got the what for. (laughs) They needed to do exactly what I told them to do because I was the master journeyman. And they were apprenticing. So they needed to put the wires in the right place and they needed to put the right weld on the entire 
80-foot signs were going to come crumbling down and kill people. Jesus takes us as the master journeyman, and he says, apprentice yourself unto me. Do exactly what I do in exactly the same way. And he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is what he invites us to. And it starts with secrecy. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed secretly, hey, Dad, watch this. And then asking for that power and that strength. And there's that intimate union. So that if and when you go viral, riding your longboard, drinking some ocean spray, (laughs) or you remain on the margins until the day you die, the kingdom will multiply. The kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I continue to pray for my own war-torn soul. The intoxicating power and the need to be noticed and to be called significant is so deep in each of us, but it will never be satisfied apart from your presence. And so may you allow us as a community to practice secrecy, to abide in intimate union with you, to practice doing our life in an unseen way. And so that when we are seen, it is truly light in the darkness. It is truly salt in the decay. Whether loved or abhorred by the world around us, we are secure on the foundation that our Father delights in us and honors us, loves to see us, is always watching us. We are as we come to communion, take us to the cross where you were infinitely shamed and stripped and wounded and not applauded so that we could hear the applause of the Holy Spirit and the Father again in our souls. And more than ever, I pray for each of these beautiful humans, God, their anxieties, their pain, their frustrations, their wounds, their hurts, their longings, their dreams, their goals, their desires. I just pray a sweet rest to come upon them. Just for today, even just in this moment of communion, just a brief reprieve from the hamster wheel of mind and soul to just come and be still for just a moment and let that begin to build in their lives, a stillness of secrecy.